Are you ready? All right. I'm going to pray just for myself. You can join in praying for me. Uh, We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your goodness, for your presence, Lord, that you dwell in us, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. If we've been born again, that you've come and made your home in us, Lord. And we thank you that you are a gift that Jesus sent. And you said, Jesus, that you'll send the spirit of truth And that spirit will lead us into all truth, Lord. So we thank you for uh, the Bible, Lord. We thank you for for people who can teach from the Bible, Lord. We thank you for wisdom and insight. But most of all, we thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. And we trust you to lead us into truth, Lord. So Father, if we just even prepare our hearts to receive from you today, Holy Spirit. And any words that come out of my mouth that are not from you, Lord, we ask them to fall to the ground. Any words that come that are your word being spoken, we ask that the seeds would land on fertile soil, would produce good plants, Lord, that would grow up into a good harvest, beautiful, wonderful fruit in people's lives. That's why we're here, Lord, is that we might be changed into your likeness, to live for you, to love you deeper and to see the world come to know you through our lives and the message that you've given for us to share with the world. We love you, we bless you, amen. Hey, something I thought of on Friday, which um, the wonderful Andrew was able to put together for me, um, and we'll we'll possibly try to do this each week, um, but we're just gonna give an, uh, what'd you call, a portal for question asking. A question asking portal. Yeah, something like portals, cool. Not, maybe not like in Minecraft or something, but uh, it's different. So if you go into paradox.church forward slash sermon, you'll see there it's just a single page. There's a little place where you can write in a question. So if during the sermon, I'm, I'm, as I'm talking, you might go, oh, I, would, I would like some more information about that. You can type in there on that and send it through. These, that's gonna stay up on the wall the whole time. And, uh, and then it, it's gonna come up to the computer at the back and then, we might just pick a few questions. If they're good questions, you might just have lovely things to say about me. You can do that too. Affirmations, um, and I'll keep them, put them in my pocket, read them later. Um, no, that's not what it's for. Uh, but that, was, that is also a good idea. I'm gonna do it. So paradox.church forward slash affirmations will be next week. Um, but just, so we just thought, you know, it's an opportunity because sometimes even like as I'm preparing, I tend to... Um, not share everything that I think on a subject because I know I already preach for a very long time. I'm aware of that and I don't want to preach for, for longer. Um, but this is a way sometimes you just miss stuff and you think, oh, that's a brilliant. Oftentimes I'll talk to people about the sermon afterwards and they'll say something like, that's a really good point. I should have said that. Uh, that's a really good thing. So it's an opportunity to do that. So you open up your phones, paradox.church forward slash sermon and you can write any questions there. And uh, if there's like stacks of questions even, and we can't answer them all, then even during the week, I might I could put something together and send that out and all that sort of stuff. So, cool beans? All right. So, uh, today I'm talking about, uh, I wanna talk about missional rhythm. So we're gonna start a series of sermons um, over several weeks. I don't know how many weeks, maybe like 56 weeks, something like that. Uh, not really, but maybe. Uh, well, it is all under the same topic, but, um, but we're just talking about getting into kind of missional rhythms, discipleship, creating a culture of discipleship in our church. And we talk about that lots, but this is kind of now we're really targeting in, getting practical about that and wanting to equip you to make disciples in every sphere that you exist in, okay? I wanted to start though by talking about some of the intentionality as to why we would do that. Um, and, uh, and we are talking a lot about, we'll use the word rhythms. And so this is a really big thing, I guess, that we want to um, encourage you in. Our Christian life shouldn't be an attachment to our regular normal life. So you don't have, well, there's my life, there's who I am. And then I've got this kind of church part that I also do. When Jesus comes to be Lord of your life, He's Lord of everything in your life. And so your faith journey with God, being a disciple of Jesus, impacts every area of your life and is under the Lordship of Jesus. Um, And so, but what it is, we have in our everyday lives kind of rhythms and habits that we naturally do. So all of us eat food probably at certain times of the day, roughly, you know, breakfast in the morning, have something at lunch, something at dinner, late night snack, wake up at three o'clock, whatever you do, maybe if you're bulking up, you're doing that sort of thing, uh, eating lots of chicken. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got rhythms for that. You've got rhythms of maybe when you shower, 
uh, when you get dressed, when you hang out with certain friends, when you go to work, there's just rhythms in our life that we naturally do. The world is formed around rhythms, the rhythm of seasons um, that, that kind of happen. And so what we're wanting to look at is not to say, well, there's this discipleship part or this living as a missionary part that's kind of this extra thing that you do on top of your ordinary life. But actually, it's about weaving into your everyday life, into the rhythms of your everyday life, missional practices, discipleship, intentionality, so that everywhere that you go, you're seeing that there's opportunity to make disciples of Jesus. Everywhere you go, you're seeing there's opportunities to see God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every moment of every day, there's opportunities for you to fall more in love with God and express more of your love for God, to love other people. It's all just in these rhythms of life. So as you hear the word rhythms, that's kind of what we're talking about is having habits formed around following Jesus. Um, in the Christian church, there's a lot of things that we do. And sometimes they can start off with good intention. But if we're not careful, they can become simply rituals that we participate in, in our lives, kind of Christian rituals, Christian practices, and they can lose the intention behind um, what we're actually trying to achieve. And we can end up with kind of like a Christian culture. Um, and, and it looks like things. So if people from the outside would look in, you'd say, what does a Christian, you know, look like? And what does a church kind of do? It's like, oh, well, I guess they, they get together on a Sunday and they sing songs, and they teach from the Bible, and they kind of hang out together. Sometimes during the week, they like to read the Bible, they pray, they do different things like that. That's kind of what Christians do. That's part of their culture. Of you know, They tend to be nice um, if you're in the church, maybe not so nice to people outside the church. Depends on who you are. Some people say, yeah, they're really nice to people outside the church. Depends on your experience of, of Christians. Um, but th there's this danger that if we if we have the culture of Christianity and we don't have discipleship as part of that culture, we can end up with um, people conforming to a culture, but not necessarily being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So culture without discipleship, Christian culture without discipleship creates conformity. So people conform, they come in, they learn, this is how Christians behave, so that's how I should behave when I'm around Christians. Um, that was me. For me, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I started going when I was 16, and, uh, and that was kind of part of it for me. I started to learn. Cool, you don't swear around these people. Keep that in mind. Um, you don't talk about certain things in front of these people. You don't say that, that's a, that's a rude thing to say, that's a thing, because it was stuff like I just didn't know any of those things. And so what I actually ended up doing is finding the people within the church who kind of also weren't following Jesus and just attached myself to them. And um, yeah, and we'd, you know, then you kind of feel like, oh, I guess I'm still a Christian. They're Christians, they call themselves Christians and they do the same things that I also do with my non-Christian mates. So I guess that's kind of okay. It's just middle ground. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time crying at the front of the altar every Sunday, repenting for what I did the night before. Um, that was just me. I know you guys don't understand. I'm sorry, I'll try a different cultural reference for you. Um, uh, but that's kind of sometimes, you know, we, 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 we learn how to kind of uh, mimic other people and we learn this kind of culture. But the problem is it's kind of, I'm just conforming to a culture and it's maybe in those times that I'm relating with, with Christians that I'm behaving that way and then outside of that, I'm kind of behaving maybe in a different way. This is sometimes what people call like Sunday Christians, you know? Well, I'm a Christian on a Sunday and I'm whatever I wanna be, you know, Monday through Saturday. So a culture without discipleship creates kind of conformity, but a culture with discipleship creates Christ-likeness and kingdom expansion. And so that's what we want. We, want a, we don't just want a kind of Christian culture. We just don't want a nice kind of happy, clappy time together. And oh, so good. Wasn't, wasn't church great on Sunday? Yeah, it was great. And then we just go off and kind of then live in this kind of life that's void of Jesus, void of the presence of God, void of being formed of the likeness of Jesus, void of seeing the kingdom of God come. We want that to be in our everyday life. So again, what we do as the church when we gather it can create a, some sort of experience of God's kingdom, the culture of the kingdom. 
So we can, when we worship, and sometimes in worshiping, you can sense the presence of God. And sometimes people come in, they don't even know Jesus, and they sense like, wow, God is real, because God's like in the room. Not just that He's in people, but He's in the room and He shows up. The way that we relate to one another and love one another, and we're just friendly and kind and loving, like they're traits of God that get expressed amongst us. So people can have a taste of what God is like through the people of God. But if that's as far as we go, then what we end up with is consumers who enjoy the experience of that culture, but they don't end up being transformed to become like that culture. Not conformed, but transformed. And therefore, they're not able to create that culture wherever they go. So the culture stays within the four walls of the church. Well, this is really nice because it's a controlled environment. We can determine who comes in, who, who doesn't come in, what it's like here. We set the standard of all of those things. People come in, they learn, okay, to be accepted, I've got to behave this way because if I behave this way, I won't be accepted. We, we kind of get within that norm. But then when I leave that place, I'm not equipped to actually then go and create that culture somewhere else. So those who are being transformed by Jesus are often then become the leaders in those cultures. And those who don't seek transformation, but seek to simply enjoy the culture that has been created, they consume the fruit of that culture, but that's kind of where it ends. So they come in, oh, yeah, love, love my church, love the people, they're so kind, they're so nice, they're so lovely, the music's great, perfect temperature in the room, um, Great food afterwards. The morning tea was brilliant. You know, it's like, oh, like my kids get looked after. It's like, that's yeah, great. And, for, and I can handle that. Two hours on a Sunday, hour and a half maybe, an hour would be better. You know, I can handle that. It's good. Like I can do that. If that's what the Christian life looks like, I can handle an hour, not a week, let's face it, a month. An hour a month, I can handle that and, and I'm kind of good. And by the time I rock up late, and kind of leave, sneak out a bit early so I don't have to talk to that person, then I'm like, it's all, this is really brilliant. I, I never realised that following Jesus was so simple, so easy, so straightforward. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yes, it is, Jesus. It really is. It's so, your burden is so light, I can barely even feel it on me. It's like I'm not even carrying anything of the burden that you carry, Jesus. This is amazing. I know about the yoke stuff. I like eggs, it's good. Um, but see, the result is what we might call cultural Christianity. And this is rife in, in Western culture, especially where there is no persecution. There is no real need. I can call myself a Christian and not necessarily live like a Christian and it's not really gonna impact me. I'm not under the threat of losing my life by carrying the name of Jesus as many are in different places in the world. So people then get into a habit of church attendance and other Christian practices. They might call themselves Christians. They might believe that Jesus is their saviour. So I'm not saying that they're not believers in God. They're not Christians. I'm not saying anything like that. But apart from some activities that they participate in, their lives can stay the same. So they'll still continue to have broken relationships, ungodly attitudes, sinful behaviours. They still might be disobedient to Jesus' commands. They become a person that looks like Jesus on a Sunday in that little time slot. And then outside of that, they don't know even how to live like God in those places. And I'm, I'm saying this not like to target people. I think this is an issue in our culture, in Christian culture, that we've created these spaces and we've opened the, the gates so wide to let anybody in because our highest value is not that they would be formed into the likeness of Jesus, is that they would come and attend so that it looks like we're being really successful by having lots of people pack out a room. Selah. And again, I'm saying for pastors who would have that intentionality, that's just simply the culture that they've been raised in. And it goes from one generation to the next and it kind of carries on. And people think this is the experience of God. Yes, this is what Christianity is like. And yet they haven't necessarily met Jesus in the midst of what they've done. I've said this quote many times, but G.K. Chesterton says, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, is that it hasn't truly been tried. And that can be a lot of people's experience of the church, of Jesus. They think they've met Jesus, but what they've met is the people of God. They've met Christian culture and they've found it wanting because the reality is it is. If Jesus isn't present and you're not truly encountering Him, there's something that's lacking then in that experience. 
They've been conformed to Christian culture, but haven't necessarily been conformed to Christ by being transformed into his likeness. To have a true experience, the most tangible experience of God that you can have is to be formed into his likeness because then you literally embody him. That's the closest he can become. I mean, the Holy Spirit can't come any closer to you as what he is when he makes his home in you. But to fully experience him is to have him immersively expand out through you and every part of you to be consumed by him. And another issue that comes out of this is then when hardship hits for people, oftentimes people can leave the whole faith journey behind. Whether from persecution or even just simply from busyness, conflict, a waning passion, it's like, well, I've, I've had this experience of church, but I'm like, I'm kind of busy on a Sunday, you know? Like, there's just other things that I'd like to do. Or I'm a bit kind of tired. I just have other, you know, the footies on, whatever it might be. And I'm not saying, you're not gonna be, oh, we can't watch the footy. You can watch the footy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes things creep in, but then I'm not, I'm not really, then I'm not experiencing the culture. I'm not being immersed in this culture. So then when I'm not being immersed, it's like when I'm not being dunked constantly in this culture, I start to dry out because I'm not producing within me. That's the wellspring of life that Jesus talks about. It's supposed to be bubbling up from the inside and spewing out of us. So the sponge is always wet, not because it's constantly being dunked in the water, but because it's producing from the inside out. But then it happens to people. It's like, oh, so in a few weeks, kind of haven't been dunked. I'm starting to get all crusty and hard and you know, like an old sponge. And, uh, and then it just seems like, ah, oh, it's just too much hassle and oh, it'll be embarrassing, whatever it is. But then the faith journey starts to wane. The personal experience of God starts to wane because somebody else isn't propping it up. And what we end up with is Christianity without Christ, which isn't far from insanity. It's an incy bit. Wordsmiths out there, you'll get there. Christianity without Christ, that's what we end up with. And my brother in law used to say, if you take the Christ out of Christian, you're left with Ian, and he's a great bloke. <laughs> I wouldn't rely on him for eternal salvation, um, but, but yeah, other than that, he's, he's great. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. The title in this section in the ESV is Godlessness in the Last Days. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I didn't say anything. No, they're not. They're lovely. I have lovely, wonderful, obedient children. Don't I? Nod your head. Say yes. No, okay. <laughs> I'm just playing around, people. Come on. Um, yeah, I know. My mum's here, so I got. I yep. I got nothing to say. Uh, uh, they'll become ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous. Uh, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It says, avoid such people. This is the church. This is not outsiders. Outsiders, you would consider, oh, they've always been like, this is talking about in the last days, the church will become like this. People within the church will start to behave in these ways. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Denying the power of Jesus for transformation. Denying the power of God to do what it is designed to do. But it'll, it'll have an appearance of God. It'll look like God. And yet when you dig a little deeper, the substance isn't there. And this is often where religion creeps in. So where it's not being produced naturally because it's the fruit of intimacy with God bubbling up out of people, where it's not the fruit of people just running after Jesus, pursuing righteousness in His kingdom as Jesus calls us to in Matthew 6.33. What ends up happening is then we need to use rules and regulations to keep that culture maintained. 
We use rules and regulations to manage those kind of cultural norms. Well, this is what the church is supposed to look like. No, you're not supposed to do that in the church. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do more of this as a Christian. You're supposed to do more of this. Okay, cool, and I've got to manage how do I behave like this? And no, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's not the fruit that flows out of a life being formed into the likeness of Jesus. It starts to get kind of, oh, I've got to conform. And those who love to conform, they can thrive in that place. But those who don't, those who prefer to rebel, then they leave those places. This is what can happen even with like, as children grow up and then they're in this youth group environment or a young adult environment, there's something where everything is supplied and sustained for them. Then they hit adulthood, maybe they go off to university or go to work and then all of a sudden their faith just disappears because no one's maintaining it for them because they haven't been discipled into the likeness of Jesus. They haven't been taught what it is to carry, have their own faith, to do their own faith journey, to, to grow in their relationship with God on their own. It's been supplied for them. They've been left in an infant state. Because this is the difference between a factory and a family. See, a, a factory replicates, but a family reproduces. A factory is all about kind of pumping out same, same. So there's a mold that the product is kind of squished into and then it's just pumped out. And that's kind of what it's about, just more pumping people through the factory, just do the right things, look the right way, do all of that sort of stuff. Whereas in a family, families reproduce by the flow on of DNA, of culture that's formed. My kids will, they kind of look like me, but they don't look like me. But my hope is that as they go into adulthood, they'll reflect what I value. They'll reflect what Lisa and I have taught them. They'll carry on those things and they'll do them not because oh, I better do it because dad's gonna you know, tell me off, um, but they'll do it. So I, I love what my father loves. I value what my father values. So I wanna value the same things. It's the same thing with us. We say, well, why, why do I not do that anymore? Because I love what my father loves. And I wanna honour my father. And because my, my father has wisdom and insight. So as much as that is formed as a child with your earthly father, it then gets formed as a spiritual child in God's house under Father God. A church without discipleship becomes a church without Christ. Because if Christ is not being formed in people, then the nature of Christ is not present amongst the people. It might be in the air, might be written on the walls, but Christ in you is the hope of glory. And you go through the scripture, it talks about Christ in us, how significant that is scripturally. But that's what we're supposed to be. That's why Jesus set up, that's why he set up discipleship. Discipleship isn't even just like ticking boxes and knowing a whole lot of stuff. It's being obedient to the commands of God. It's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's a supernatural work. That happens in us. And then Christ gets formed in you. So for me, I am more like Jesus than I was five years ago. So Christ has been formed in me in a greater capacity than what he had five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So I'm more like Jesus. So in the same way, I embody Christ in a way that I didn't five years ago. And that then shows in how I relate to people. It shows in the intentionality of, of what I do in my life. Now, am I fully formed? Absolutely not. Is anyone fully formed? No, they are not. But that's the direction that we are heading is to embody Christ. So if we have then a church where we're not being formed in the likeness of Jesus, it's just like he's not there. He might be there in the atmosphere. God might show up and do supernatural works but he's not being formed in people. You know, miracles followed Jesus because of who he was. What, it was. what was in him flowed out of him and impacted the world around him. And it's, it's the example that he set for us to follow. Study the life of Jesus. What did he do? That's what I'm to do. It's really simple. What was he like? That's what I'm to be like. What did he say? Okay, they're the things that he wants me to say. So in my mind, and I might be wrong, in my mind, discipleship 
is one of the greatest antidotes to cultural Christianity. And I'd say discipleship, even more than miraculous manifestations of the presence of God. I love when God shows up. I love signs and wonders and miracles. I've seen many, many people healed. I've seen all sorts of awesome, cool stuff. But what I've also seen is when somebody experiences the reality of God, I've, I've prayed for people that have been thrown to the floor. I've prayed, and this is people who aren't Christians. I've prayed for people, their bodies have been miraculously healed before my eyes and before their eyes. And yet, coming out of that moment, even when they were invited to, they chose to not follow Jesus and their lives went back to the same as what it was once before that. They can get delivered from a demon in a moment and yet very soon after that, they'll be filled with a handful more because they've gone back to their life because they haven't chosen discipleship. They haven't chosen the pathway of saying, okay, now I wanna form my life around you, Jesus. So then they go back to the same ways, the same practices, the same lifestyle that led to them being bound in the first place. So I'd say even more, so we could say, God, if you just showed up and there was literally a pillar of fire in this building and people could see it from miles around and they would come here and they would come and they would experience you and that would be wonderful and amazing and I'd love that. And yet, if they don't choose to follow Jesus, they'll leave that place and eventually that grace that was here, that was even upon them, will peter out because they'll go back to their old ways. So we won't see transformation. We won't see the kingdom come. The basis of discipleship is just becoming like Jesus. But obedience is the key. It's in the great Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That means immersing them in the reality of the Godhead and then teaching them to obey my commands. Not teaching them commands. We're great at teaching commands. The church is great at teaching commands. There is an endless supply of sermons that would talk about the commands of Jesus, okay? And all the commands through the Bible, you can, there's no end to that. The problem is obeying those commands. And that's what Jesus said. Don't teach them my commands. That's potentially worse off for you because then you know something that you're not doing. That's why Jesus says, if you build your house upon the rock versus building your house upon the sand, the wise person builds their house upon the rock, which is the teachings of Christ. They're building their house on Jesus themselves. The one who builds it on the sand, who, who hears my words, but doesn't walk in them, they're a fool. So the danger is, you get chock full of all. I know all the commands. I can recite every command of Jesus off by heart. Awesome, are you obeying any of them? No, then you're possibly a greater fool than when you, before you heard the commands. At least, at least someone who hasn't heard them has an excuse. Obedience is key in discipleship because it's through obedience that you get formed into that. You understand this is the way to walk and to live. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that other things aren't important. I'm just saying obedience is really important and possibly a lacking element in Western Christian culture. But it also in obedience, when I'm called to obey Christ, it also reveals the parts of me that aren't formed in the likeness of Jesus. So the journey of following Jesus is as much about being changed into his likeness as it is also recognizing where I'm not formed in his likeness. Because I've got to see where I'm not in order that I can repent and be formed and transformed into who he is like. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't be surprised when we're confronted with something that doesn't, in us, that doesn't look like Jesus. If we see something in us that's not in Jesus, then it's like, okay, you're wanting to remove that thing, Jesus. If we see something in Jesus that's not in us, it's like, you're wanting to form something in me, Jesus. That's the journey of what it looks like. So why is obedience so important? It is a pathway to Christ-likeness. As I'm just saying, it will, it will form us as we follow, but it'll also reveal those areas in us that aren't formed into his likeness. And the other really important thing, probably point number one, you should obey Jesus because he's Lord. He's God. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows what's good for you. He knows what is right. That's the first thing of obedience. And this is something, again, you've probably heard this talked about, but Jesus is both Saviour and Lord. And I think the gospel that we've preached primarily has been about the salvation focus of that, that Jesus is your Saviour. And yes, He absolutely is. He's paid the penalty for your sin. 
okay? He's opened the way for you to have eternal life as an experience with Him. All of that is good. He has reconciled you to God. He is Saviour, but He is also Lord. And He's the Lord of His kingdom. So He is King, the King's domain. That's the kingdom, is the king's domain. Wherever the king has dominion, that's where his kingdom is. So if you say, I'm living in the kingdom and yet I don't, I'm not yielded to the lordship of Jesus, you're not living in his kingdom. Because within his, if you're like, I'm in his kingdom, then you do what he says. Not a popular message. No, he's all about my freedom, brother. I'm under grace. So grace is the empowering presence of God that you might obey him. you're under his mercy and you're under his blood, which is why he doesn't destroy us. But we get empowered to follow him because because of his grace, because of his love. It's like, here's this opportunity that I get to follow you, Jesus. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus saves us from hell but he also saves us into his kingdom. He saves us and he draws us then into the place where the king reigns. So we come into this different relational dynamic with God. I have have a king now. I was Lord of my life. I handed over my lordship when Jesus became my Lord. Now he is my king and I follow him. Now I understand, as I said, it's not widely culturally accepted today. It's not the dominant culture of the Western world, but it is the culture of the kingdom. So if the thought of being obedient to Jesus oh, fire, oh, fires you up, it's, uh, you're not gonna get away from that. You might get away with it, but you're not gonna get away from it because it's just the way that it is. It's pretty old school. God's pretty old school. He's like, this is my way and there is no other way. And we can negotiate with God, but eventually we'll come back to the place where it's, it's still my way. <laughs> I'm just gonna go this way for a bit. It's like, that's cool. I'll be here waiting for you. Hopefully you'll come back. Now, is he gracious? Is he kind? Is he merciful? Absolutely. Will he destroy you if you choose to be disobedient? If you're a son and a daughter of God and you choose disobedience, will he destroy you? No, he won't because he's punished Christ already for your disobedience. Will you experience the fullness of life that he pitched for you? No, you will not. Will you enter into life in the kingdom? No, you will not. The Bible's very clear on that. You get robbed. So now, when it comes to obedience, it's important that we are obeying for the right reason as well. So as I just explained, you're not gonna get punished if you disobey God. That's just the reality of the finished work of Christ. You're not gonna get punished by God. He's not gonna strike you down, burn you with sulfur, throw you into a fiery pit, okay? That's not gonna happen. So if fear is a motivator, if the fear of punishment is a motivator for you, you need to to deal with that one because it's not what God uses to motivate people. It might be why you put your hand up at a youth rally one time to come forward and give your life to Jesus because you were petrified of what might happen if you died tonight. Where will you be tomorrow? And you responded because you're like, I, well, if, if what it takes is me running down the front, putting up my hand and, and praying a prayer to stop me from dying tonight, yes, I'll do that, okay? That's not the motivator that God uses in the gospel, The motivator is come and experience life with me. Come and enter into my kingdom. Come and enter into my rest. Come and let me lift off the load of the world and put this light, beautiful, wonderful load upon you. Come and experience me. Come and have intimate, connected relationship with me. Come and experience my presence. Come and let me make my home inside of you. Because I love you and I want you to love me back. Because that's the best thing for you. That's the good news of the kingdom is that God loves. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. It's good news. Now again, we can use fear and a fear of punishment to get people through the door. It's just a really bad start to a relationship. It's 
It's no, not because of a fear of punishment, because of love for God. That's our motivation to obey. That's what would drive us to choose Him over something else. That would, that's what drives us to say, I wanna walk in your ways, Lord. I know I've told this story before and it was actually when Noah was little and he's in the car, just me and him driving in the back seat. And uh, I, think, I think he was kicking my, the chair, the back of the seat. And, uh, and I said, Noah, can you please stop doing that? And he kind of kept doing it. And then I said, please stop doing that. Can you keep, stop doing that? I kept doing it. And, uh, and then I said, um, I said, Noah, if you, if you don't stop doing that, I'm gonna have to give you a consequence. And so then he thought for a bit and then he said, what will the consequence be? I said, hmm, smart kid. <laughs> he's weighing up his options. So essentially in his mind, he's thinking, well, if it's actually not that bad, then I'm gonna keep doing it. And uh, so I caught in that moment and I said, how about you choose to obey me because you love me rather than out of the fear of what the consequence might be if you don't. He chose love that time. But I've got, I mean, my kids will say to me sometimes, they'll say, well, you have a consequence. And they're like, you know, Dad, consequences don't really work. I'm like, oh man, that's all we got <laughs> as parents sometimes, you know? So what it feels like, all I've got is consequences. But what you want, even from your kids, you want love out of obedience. Sometimes you just gotta put your foot down and say, that's, that's dangerous, that can't happen, it's gotta stop right now. And you've just, this is not happening, okay? But what you want is to say, hey, could you please do this for me? Could you please stop doing that? And you want them to respond out of love, respect, honour to say, yes, Father, I'll do that. Because you know what's best for them. And so that's what you're trying to bring. And even when they don't understand sometimes, it's like, I'm gonna trust you, Father, and I'm gonna walk in your ways because I know that you have my best interests at heart. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll you'll walk in my, if you love me, you'll naturally be obedient to me. But again, the natural obedience is obedience to what? Is sometimes what we find, what is outlined in the scriptures. It's not always, doesn't always come from a prophetic dream, come from just hearing the Holy Spirit in a time of prayer. Sometimes it comes from when you open up the word. Sometimes it comes from a sermon, from encouragement from a friend, whatever it might be, in all the different ways that God speaks to us. Our response doesn't ever need to be, well, out of fear of punishment, I better do that. The opportunity is, because I love you, I will choose your way, Jesus. Amen? So discipleship is this remedy for cultural Christianity. It will stop us, even as a church community, getting into this place where we're just kind of doing the thing and just rocking up and just, yep, clapping and doing and all that sort of stuff, and then not seeing Christ in our everyday life. Which to me, I've never understood. I used to hear about people that would come and just be Sunday Christians, and I'm like, I could think of a million and one other places that I would rather be if I didn't love Jesus. Surely this is not the place that you'd want to come and hang out. Like I and that's and I know I've become one probably. I just, I just find Christians weird and just not like they're just not into the same things. They don't like the music I like, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I've been transformed. But I'm just saying, that was my experience. So I never understood people who just kind of rocked up on a Sunday and uh, and didn't then live in relationship with Jesus every day. But that's his desire. This is desire that our faith journey would be woven into every part of our lives. It wouldn't just be something we experience kind of once a week or once a fortnight or once a month. It'd be something that we get to experience in the everyday of our lives. It's much better. And this is the difference where our, our faith isn't just part of our life, our faith is all of our life. Discipleship isn't just something we do. I'm a, I am a disciple of Jesus. It's who I am. It's what He calls me. Now, I'm a son and I'm, I'm many things, but I'm also a disciple. I'm one who follows, who seeks to be transformed into the likeness of the one that I'm following. And another impact is when, if we don't have discipleship happening, then oftentimes um, evangelism doesn't happen. Or if it does, it's simply just talking about things that we know, but not necessarily expressing the reality of the kingdom to the people around us. So without evangelism and discipleship, then essentially the kingdom stops with us. 
if we don't disciple the next generation, and I don't just mean younger ones, but people around us that don't know Jesus, this is it. It's like the last, it'll be the last generation because no one's passing on the information. And maybe those that are, are passing it on by word, but not necessarily by deed. They're not necessarily embodying Jesus. I know you've maybe come across some of those people and they're talking, talking, talking about Jesus. And then you look at their life and you go, something's not matching up here. You're proclaiming Christ out of your mouth and yet your relationships are dysfunctional, this like funk, dysfunctional church cultures, this fun, all this funky stuff going on and then you're all about talking about Jesus. I'm like, there's something that's not matching up here. And it's because if there's not a culture of discipleship, then Christ hasn't been formed in people and that's where you get hypocrisy. And it turns people off wanting to engage with Jesus because they have an experience of the church, the ones who are supposed to represent Jesus. And they're like, I've experienced Christ through the church and I don't want anything to do with him. What a sad place for us to come to. So without discipleship, the kingdom stops with us, but with evangelism and discipleship, so not just proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom, but embodying the reality of the kingdom, then it expands through us to the rest of the world and to generations to come. That's God's plan. That's why He chose discipleship. He could have just shown up to every single person across the entire face of the world through a dream in, a mo in some sort of spectacular way. He could have shown up and everyone would have had that choice in that moment to say yes or to say no, eternal life with Him, eternal se separation, punishment, whatever. That's, that's, he could have done that. But instead He chose to show up to a handful of guys a couple of thousand years ago and He said, now I'm, I'm now commissioning you to go and carry on what I've started. And that carries on today with us. Discipleship is how the kingdom continues to, to grow. It's how Christ is embodied in the world is from one person to the next. And this is the thing, a disciple is not, it's not just my role to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's also not just my role to make disciples of Jesus. It's also my role to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. That's how it flows on. That's how he set it up. So Jesus didn't say, I got you 12 guys. One of you is gonna do the dodgy on me. And, uh, but I just, so really, I got 11 of you guys. I'm just gonna disciple you and then that's it. Here's the kingdom. It would have stopped there. There wouldn't be you know, billions of people who profess Christ as their Saviour and Lord today. So they train them to be disciple makers. So I think of it, it's like if you wanted to, um, you know, go and see, a, so you've got a personal trainer at a gym. All right. Now you might go along, you can go along as a client to a personal trainer. So essentially you're being discipled in your fitness. You've got someone and you're, you're yielding yourselves to them and they're gonna train you and push you, possibly push you beyond your comfort limits. That's why personal trainers are good. I think of it myself as like, I probably would have stopped at 10. <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, give me one more, give me one more. And it pushes you beyond what you thought you could do. And that's what Jesus does with us. He trains us to go beyond who we thought we are and He provides all the grace and power for us to do that. But then you might say, I love getting trained. I wanna become a personal trainer. And that's great. So that's when we then say, hey, I wanna disciple other people. Okay, so I wanna be, be that person that can then train other people. And that's great. And then the next level is when you become like a trainer of personal trainers. So I love personal training so much, I wanna train personal trainers, okay? That is where we're supposed to sit as a disciple maker who makes disciples, who, makes, who make disciples, who make disciples, okay? So we're not just to be a disciple of Jesus. I think sometimes that's even hard for the church to get. Let's be honest. Just simply coming under His Lord and being a disciple, whoa, that's, that's huge news, I didn't realise. Um, so that's, that's the starting point is to be a disciple, but as a disciple, what are you called to do? Go and make disciples. So it's this cycle that keeps going around. And then if I'm called to make disciples, you then make disciples, then it's that flow on effect from one generation to the next. So here we want to equip you to be disciple makers who make disciples, okay? Not because we think it's a good idea. It is a good idea, not, but that's not the reason why. It's because Jesus commands it. So it's like, well, if you commanded Jesus, we have to take it seriously. If you're commanding us to do something, then I don't wanna say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. It's like he's saying, this is really important to me. That's why I've made it a command for you to do that. 
So, okay, well, we need to find a way to do that well, Lord. How are we gonna do that? So that's what we're, what we're wrestling through. Now, have lots of people been made disciples? Yes, is discipleship happening? Yes, it is, in lots of different organic forms, okay? But what we're wanting to do is create a framework and a structure around that that can help that to happen more and more and more. Because we might be able to disciple the people in this room, but what about all the people that don't know Jesus, that as we are living missionally, we start to share the good news of Jesus, start to express the kingdom, that more will come. It's like, then what are you gonna do with people? You don't want children without, without a parent. You don't want people just to kind of wander around. Well, hopefully you make it through. Because I almost guarantee that every one of you here was discipled by someone in some way. So we're gonna carry that on to the next generation. Amen? All right. So I'm just gonna introduce to you what I'm gonna be talking about over the next uh, few weeks. And so what we've come up with, and we've called it BEATS, B-E-A-T-S. So it is an acronym um, that represents different things. So this is part of a framework of discipleship, okay? And it is um, helpful also for us to live missionally and be making disciples as we're living on mission, okay? So our core team, uh, we've been kind of journeying through them with this, but uh, it was called something else and uh, we changed it to beats because it fits with rhythm. So, yeah, we're just trying to be clever. So it's taken from a book. If you haven't read the book by Michael Frost, we've got copies of it for sale there. He used bells, B-E-L-L-S, and we're just like, no, beats sounds way better. So beats stands for bless, eat, abide, train, and scent. So these are rhythms and a framework for our lives where we bless people both inside and outside the church, eating together, sharing meals with those inside and outside the church, abiding in Holy Spirit, listening to His guidance and direction, training in learning Jesus as our Lord, friend, saviour and model for making disciples and living sent by God as missionaries in our everyday lives. Okay, that's the big framework. I'm gonna break down each one of them over the weeks and explain what the kind of impetus behind those things are. But essentially, it's setting up, you know, kind of within a fortnight or a month, a rhythm that you would be seeking to to bless people inside and outside. So people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. Eating together, again, that's a natural rhythm. You eat several meals a day and in a week and it's finding opportunity as we eat because there's, wonderful kingdom expression in sharing meals together. It's abiding the Holy Spirit, setting apart time that we're being with the Holy Spirit, learning Him, being led into truth by Him, training and learning Jesus. So again, as we talk about, well, if I wanna be a disciple, I've gotta know the one that I'm following. So study the gospel, study the way of Jesus, who He was, and then also living sent by God as missionaries. So understanding that we're not... um, We're not called to just bring everyone here. We're actually called to be sent out into the world, into every sphere to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. So again, all of these things as we journey through, I really wanna nail this down. What we're not trying to do is to set up a checklist for your life so you can be a good Christian. We have no interest in doing that. This is not a checklist. It's, um, It's a... It's a structure that we can build around our lives that keeps us heading in the right direction. It's about our trajectory. We say, we wanna love God, we wanna love people, we wanna make disciples, we wanna see His kingdom come. What's a framework that can help me heading in that direction? And I think about, it's like the, the bumpers on, uh, on a bowling alley, on the lanes. You know, there's things that you put up and you know, when you've got your kids with you, it's great because you just, oh, I left the bumpers up. Um, you know, because you really, you don't, want, you don't want the ball to go in the gutter. And if, and if getting a strike is what I'm aiming for in my life, I wanna, I wanna get to the end of the lane, I wanna knock down every single pin, I wanna be successful for Christ in my life, I don't wanna end up in the gutter. Now again, it's fine, you might say, well, I won't put the gutters up because I've got like 20, 30 goes of this. But the reality is in our lives, we've got one go at it. And if I had one go to knock down those pins in that, that lane and someone says, would you like the bumpers up? I'm like, absolutely put those bumpers up. Because it, what it's gonna mean is if I start drifting off this way, it's just gonna gently guide me back straight again. If I start drifting off this way, it's just gonna guide me back straight again. So all of these things that we talk about, the reflection questions we're gonna talk about, the DNA groups, all of these things, they're not just being, how can I be a good Christian? Oh yes, I've ticked it. Ah, oh, I can relax because God's not gonna punish me this week because I did all of the things that I was supposed to do. It's not about that at all. It's saying, I wanna live the most abundant, full, 
uh, honoring, life-giving life that I can possibly, I wanna do all that I can do for you, Jesus. But I, I, wanna, I wanna hit, I wanna strike at the end of my life for you, God, because you paid your, with your life for my life, so I want it to count. So I, it's, it's simply about having this framework around the heaps. So when we start getting a bit self, you know, and all about me, I'm like, oh, that's right, it's all about other, it's about other people too. <laughs> when I start, you know, heading off in this direction, it's just gonna guide us back in. That's what it's for, okay? So if you, if you do all of the things, you ain't gonna get a pat on the back. You're not gonna get an award. You're not gonna get a certificate or something like that. Sorry if that's what you're out for. You can pat yourself on the back, go for it, but that's not the point of what we're doing, okay? Kind of nail that down. And if it starts to feel like that, oh no, I didn't do my reflection questions this week. Oh no, I'm gonna get in trouble. This, it's not coming from me. It's not gonna come from anyone in the leadership team here because that's not what it's about, okay? We have no desire to control you to get a particular outcome from you, okay? Zero desire to control people. That is just, I have I just no interest in that. Controlling people is annoying, it sucks. Yep. And this is the thing, it's not about behavior modification. Jesus isn't about changing your behavior, it's about heart transformation. But heart transformation usually starts by us being provoked in some way, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> conflict in a relationship. You know, something happens, I lose my job, I, you know, a, a loved one dies. There's something that happens in our life that provokes us to go, Ooh, there's something going on in my heart. Something's just bubbled up on the inside that I wasn't aware of, okay? Could be when we encounter hardship. There's often an external pressure that reveals our internal world. So again, these rhythms aren't about getting us to just do more Christian activities. They're designed to help us in our transformation journey to become more like Jesus. They'll remind us, recalibrate us, refocus us, and provoke us to become more like Jesus and live in obedience to His Lordship. It's a good thing. It's a framework that helps support us as we follow Holy Spirit's leading in our everyday lives. Okay, so again, it's not just, we're gonna do these things. It's like, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Who do you want me to bless this week, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, who could I go and share a meal with this week and that I could just connect deeper with? Holy Spirit, as I sit with you, what do you wanna teach me, Lord? Holy Spirit, what, what am I missing about who Jesus is that you wanna reveal to me? Holy Spirit, how am, I, how am I living my life where I'm just starting to get consumed with me and not loving the world as you love the world? So again, it's all directed by Holy Spirit, but it's a framework that keeps us in line. Amen? I have seven, we have seven minutes. And um, so do you, is there a couple of questions or a question maybe that we can get? I still wanna pray for you all. Is that gonna come out? All right. Is there a risk that discipleship can just become a list of rules that become another form of legalism? Did I cover that? Just then, I think so. So that's kind of what you were probably thinking, well, is this gonna go? It's, it's, discipleship is following Jesus. It's clearly written in the scriptures. Can it become religious? Can it become rules and regulations? Absolutely it can, but it can also, if, and if that's been your experience, I'm really sorry, it doesn't have to be your experience with God. Because, and that's part of following Jesus. What actually gets revealed in us is, Oh, it's not like that, Lord. It doesn't have to be like that. It's going to challenge what you love. It's going to challenge what your preferences are. God might challenge those things. I always come back to the, the that verse says, uh, the scriptures are profitable for teaching, correction, and rebuke. There are certain things in your life where God will teach you something that you don't know in the discipleship journey. There are times in your life where God will correct something that you think is right that is actually wrong and you'll repent. You'll change your mind from understanding that to understanding what is truth. And there are times where God will confront you and say, you cannot continue in that way. And the scriptures will, will rebuke us. It says, not only did you think that was right, you were, you were uh, stubborn in your belief of that thing. No, I'm gonna go this way anyway. And then God oftentimes will stop us in that because He loves us. The Bible says He disciplines those He loves. I'm not suggesting this is gonna be free and easy, but I don't think that's what Jesus called disciples to. He clearly outlined, this is gonna cost you. 
You've got to weigh up, is this what you want? But my issue with the church is that if we, if we say, you can, you can cost yourself and follow Jesus and be a disciple, or you can just be a Christian and just come and consume, I'm like, what upsets me is that there's an alternative to discipleship. Because when I read the Bible, that there ain't no alternative. It's you're a disciple or you're not. You're not fit to be my disciple, Jesus says. Like, he is so much harsher than what I've ever heard, a, 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 you know, a, a pastor or a leader be. He's so, no, God, hey, Jesus, I wanna, I wanna bury my father before I follow you. You're not fit to be my disciple. Boom, ouch, Jesus, seriously, come on, give me a break. But it's like, that's, it, that's what we're talking about here. Now, when we're in Western culture, everything's free and easy. You, you go somewhere where there's persecution, the threat of death, Man, you better believe that discipleship thrives in those places because the cost of following him might cost me my life. But just because we don't have that external pressure, I don't think that we should therefore honour the Lord less. All right, any other? What is it? I feel like discipling adds tiredness to my week. I know it's good, but I feel tired thinking of it. How can that change? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess if you're talking about discipling others, um, this is where, again, when you talk about rhythms, you're talking about doing something in the midst of already doing something that you're doing. So it's not adding something, adds, you know, it's like you're adding something was like, well, I mean, eating doesn't make me tired. Um, eating with people, I mean, if you, um, if you, I get if you hate people, um, then that, the, 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 you've got some other issues. Discipling isn't your problem. Um, but I, I get that and I think that's again where we say oh, another thing I have to do it's like no it's, it's what are you doing that needs to drop off in order to make this thing which is a very high importance to Jesus be a priority that would be my question so tiredness I get okay I've got, I got three young children I'm a senior pastor of a church okay in, in my off time I'm still finishing off renovating our house also helping to oversee the establishment of a transformation center like I understand what busyness feels like I understand what tiredness feels like okay but I don't feel like that excuses me from being obedient to Jesus okay so tiredness versus obedience like it's it's a hard one but I'd say you need to find better ways of resting uh, and I would say talk to somebody Get like some spiritual, a spiritual advisor, someone with wisdom that can say, hey, what, let's look at all of the things in your life that you're doing and what can change here to bring more freedom, more life to this opportunity. Because for me, I, I don't know, I love seeing people connect with Jesus. I love people that, I'm not, not because I'm an evangelist. I don't, I'm, I can be insecure around people I don't know. I can be shy. I can be, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm an introvert. I know I can speak up on the microphone, but you put me in a room full of strangers. I'm like, I don't, that's the last place I wanna be. Um, but do I love when God creates those opportunities and I get to share the goodness of God and people start to respond to Him? There's nothing better because I know they're gonna experience God like I've experienced God. So again, there's possibly some repentance that needs to happen, not necessarily because you're sinning, but because you think about discipleship in a way that God has not intended you to think about. You think about it in a way that's actually not true. So you need to repent. I need to change my mind on what discipleship looks like and find a way that actually is life-giving to my life. Any more? No. I take that as a no. It's good. I wanna pray for you. We've got one minute. All right, why don't you stand with me? Sorry? All right. Thank you, Lord. So in all of this, I, I, I need, our heart as a, as a leadership, as a church, is to see people transformed. And we cost ourselves for that. That's what we spent, you know, a couple of days, a whole bunch of leaders just seeking radical transformation of people's hearts. And something like a larger house is part of our discipleship framework. But what we don't want is kind of professionals 
ministering to clients. We want you to take that. And that's why even as I look at a larger house, it's something where we love doing the schools because you get ministered to in that, but you get understanding and you come away learning more about yourself, learning about how the kingdom works. Then you get to go and share that with other people and say, this is what, how God works. This is what He's like. This is how good He is. And that carries it on. Our heart is to see this city and this nation transformed. But if we don't take discipleship seriously, we'll end up with a whole lot of Christian culture that doesn't actually embody and reflect Christ. And that to me, I don't wanna give my life for that. There are people I'm sure that could do a much better Sunday service than what we're doing. But we just have no interest in doing that. We wanna see your lives transformed and we wanna see more people. We wanna see the multiplication of that in other people's lives, amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Lord, we start just by acknowledging that this is your idea, Lord. Discipleship is your idea. It's what you established, Lord. And and Father, we're just um, putting this kind of framework to help people, Lord. But Father, if others find a better way to make disciples, to grow in love for you and to see that go, Lord, we bless that. We're not here to to get people to follow our way. We want people to follow your way, Jesus. But we also wanna be good stewards, Lord, and say, well, if discipleship is something you take seriously, we wanna take it seriously, Lord. And we wanna help people to do that well. But Father, even as I shared about you being Lord and Saviour, God, I just felt even, Lord, just to pray for anyone who is here today that maybe they've experienced You as Saviour, but they haven't even known You as Lord. They haven't known, I didn't realise that was even part of it. I knew that Jesus saved me, that He set me free, but I didn't realise that He wants to be my Lord, that He is my Lord, that I've given my life to His Lordship. Or Father, even if there's people here that maybe they've done that in the past and they've drifted away from the Lordship of Jesus. They've drifted away from a devotion to obeying Him. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would You come now and would You convict our hearts, Lord? Not to make us feel bad, Lord, but to make us experience that which You wanna change, Lord. We want it to be real in our hearts, God. Thank You, Lord. Would You come, Holy Spirit, Father, even if there's anyone in the room who's never even known You as Saviour, God, yet alone known You as Lord, I just wanna pray now. Would you, if you wanna just, you can say it out loud, you can say it quietly, but I say, Jesus, I give my life to You. And Jesus, I give all of myself to You. Would You be my Saviour? but would You also be my Lord? I repent for the life of sin that I've lived, Lord. I repent for where I haven't acknowledged You as Lord, where I've received the fruit of salvation, but I haven't consumed it and made it part of me. And I invite You, Holy Spirit, to come and fill me. Come and fill me with Your presence. Come and make me new, that I would be born again, a new creation. And Holy Spirit, would You come and baptise people in Your presence now. Come and baptise people in Your presence now, Holy Spirit. We trust You to do this miraculous work, Lord. It's not because of a prayer that we pray, it's Your intention to do it, Lord. And we just say, yes, Holy Spirit, would You come? And would You give new life to people? Would You lead us in the everlasting way? And Father, I just pray as well, just an apostolic blessing and commissioning and impartation over Your people here in this community, Lord, that we would understand that we have been apostled by You, Jesus. We've been called to live as sent ones, Lord. We've been called to live as sent ones, Father, not just to experience the fruit of Your Kingdom, but to carry Your Kingdom wherever we go, to carry Christ wherever we go, Lord. Would You come Holy Spirit now and just I just pray, Lord, an impartation, Father, of that apostolic anointing upon our lives, Lord. 
Not that we would then start calling ourselves apostles, Lord, but You were the great apostle, Jesus. You were the sent one and You have made Your home in us and You are forming Yourself in us, Lord. So we want that dimension of who You are to be manifest in our lives, Lord. We wanna see that, man, we are carriers of the King. We are carriers of the Kingdom and we have a grace and a power and an anointing to release that everywhere we go. Into our homes, Lord, that Your Kingdom would come. Into our workplaces that Your Kingdom would come. Into our neighbourhoods that Your Kingdom would come. Into the schools and universities that Your Kingdom would come. Every place that we step our foot, Lord, Your Kingdom would come. That we would open our mouths and declare that Jesus is Lord. That we would connect deeply with people, love them into the Kingdom. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. We know this is only a work that You can accomplish, Holy Spirit. So Father, any framework that we we come up with, Lord, we need You, Holy Spirit, to do this work. And we trust You, Holy Spirit, to do this work. And we are just here stewarding what You have given us, Lord. Stewarding the precious hearts of these beautiful people who are here in this community, Lord. But God, our desire is that many more would come to know You, Jesus and not just to receive salvation, but to come under Your Lordship and to experience the beautiful fruitfulness of being Your children and You being our God and our Father. We love You, we bless You in Jesus' Name, Amen. Awesome, bless you family. We love you and encourage you to to go live as sent ones this week. uh, We're not gonna have our ministry...